So we're going to start tonight looking at some of the Psalms. Uh, for term four, we're going to be looking at Psalm 42, God willing, right through to Psalm 51. And if you've had a look during the week or you have your Bibles open, you'll know that this is the first Psalm in Book 2 of the Psalms. There's actually five books of Psalms. They're collected uh, with a particular order about them. We don't know exactly why different Psalms have been placed in certain places. But one of the things you see when you look at each of the books of the Psalms is that there are collections that are grouped together. And you'll see some similarities and some differences over the next few weeks. Um, this particular psalm, we know a little bit about it. We don't know the context. Uh, we are told quite simply that it's for the director of music. That's a good indication that it was probably intended to be sung, uh, a piece of music, a, a song. And we're told that it's a mascal of the sons of Korah. Uh, we don't know what a mascal is. Uh, if you've got a footnote at the bottom of your Bible, it probably says something like a literary or a musical term. Uh, there were 12 references to mascals in the Psalms uh, and they're all in the headings and there's only one reference to it outside the Psalms and it doesn't help us to know what they are. Um, so we won't put too much stock in that. Uh, we don't know a great deal either about the sons of Korah, although you can learn about Korah back in the book of Numbers and his disobedience to God. But the sons of Korah seem to be associated with the music at the temple. And so probably what we've got here is a, a psalm which has been written to be performed uh, by God's people when they gather together and it's to be done in a particular way. Um, the thing too, when you look at this particular psalm, uh, Psalm 42, and then Psalm 43 is, and again your footnotes will tell you this, that some ancient manuscripts treat this as one psalm. Now, even if... Um, you're not sure about that and want to go, no, they're two psalms. A couple of things to point out. If you just have a look at the way it's printed up on your handout, you'll notice that there's a kind of um, layout to this. You, you've got a few verses and then you've got a refrain. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. There in verse 5 again in verse 11, and then you'll notice that it's also at the end of verse 5 of Psalm 43. Another indicator that may be there to go together is that there's no kind of for the director of music or an intro piece to this psalm. It's kind of missing. And so I think it's, it's uh, well, we can't know for sure if it's two psalms or one, but I'm going to take them together. That's what we're going to be doing. And um, it, it's a psalm, I think, that touches on some really deep things. Uh, it's a psalm that has to do with what we would call today depression. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Low spirits, feeling down, depression. Um, now, I'm not talking about you know, a, a kind of technical major de depressive disorder, um, although it, it would probably speak to those circumstances, but speaking particularly to a depression that has to do with relationship with God. And um, I think because this uh, particular type of depression has to do with how we are feeling towards God and how God is in our kind of um, thoughts and feelings, 
It's particularly an important psalm for Christians. Now, the title for this particular talk, Spiritual Depression, I've taken from a book which was written um, in... uh, we just put up a picture here. This book, Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cures, was written in 1965 uh, by Dr Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a, a very prominent English preacher... And you'll notice that this is a a recent version of it, but it says one of the most outstanding books that has ever been written. Um, Now, that's good marketing. Uh, You need to read it to work out whether that is true in your experience, but I found this to be particularly helpful. And I think it's not a bad way of kind of focusing our thoughts on this psalm to think that here is a psalm that addresses an issue That is when we are feeling low about our relationship with God. And that's something, I take it, that we have probably all felt to some degree or other. And if we haven't, then we will. What does the Bible have to say? Now, this is a psalm uh, or psalm. So I'm going to keep saying a psalm, right? So you you see where that's coming from. But it touches on a whole range of, of deep feelings deep emotion, circumstances that are worrying, troubling, overwhelming, the inability to control feelings, the the impact on appetite, feeling remote and distant from God. And there'll be times in life, I think, when we all feel somewhat down and when we all feel remote from God. Some of us might be more prone to these feelings than others. Some of us tend to be more glass half empty than glass half full people. We're more a pessimist than we are an optimist. And some of us will more readily see the troubles than they will the joys. And that's okay. So this psalm might touch some of us more significantly and more regularly than others. But for those of us who might tend to be a little bit more upbeat, maybe a bit more positive about things, riding with the circumstances, this is still a very important psalm for us to look at. Because there will be times when we're unable to make sense of what we're going through. When it seems that what God is doing or not doing is actually too difficult for us to cope with. And so whether this is something that we can apply to our circumstances now, or whether God is speaking to us today and saying, just put this aside because there'll be a time when you can draw on this and it will be helpful, I hope it will encourage us all as we look at this together. Well, the structure of this psalm I want to draw attention to is really pretty simple. There are a few verses and then there's the refrain, a few verses and then the refrain. And it, it begins with, the, with this picture, which is a dramatic picture, the deer panting for streams of water. As the deer pants in this way, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God, Where can I go and meet with God? And then he elaborates on this picture in a number of different ways. And each time comes back to this question, why, my soul, are you downcast? Now, we don't tend to use the language of soul very often. Um, Sometimes you you might speak about somebody having a soul as a, a kind of reference to the inner person, the kind of spiritual side of a person in separation to their body. But I don't think it's working that way. The word soul here, 
occurs in verse 1, my soul pants for you. Verse 2, my soul thirsts for God. Verse 4, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. Verse 5, why my soul? Verse 6, my soul. And then in the two refrains that follow. But it's not just the spiritual in contrast to the physical. Because if you come down to verse 10, he says, my bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me. I think the idea of the soul here is of the essential person, who we really are, deep down, this is who I am and deep down I'm thirsting for God, is what he's saying. He's low, he's downcast, he's spiritually depressed and notice also, not only is he downcast but he asks the question, why so disturbed within me? So there's a kind of a, a depression aspect, but also a disturbed aspect. All churned up, struggling with this, unable to get out of bed perhaps, with the things that are keeping him asleep at night, depression and turmoil, difficulties and struggles, whether they're internal or whether they're coming at him from the outside. Here is an experience for us to take hold of and see how the Bible focuses our attention. Now, before we get into the detail of this psalm, I I want to point out that Jesus himself identifies with this psalm. You might remember back uh, last year, if you were with us, at the start of the year, we, we looked at a number of the psalms in the first book, from Psalm 1 through, I think, to about 24. And in that group of psalms, we looked at a whole range of, of different things and how they focused towards Jesus... And one of the things that we thought about was how Jesus might pray or how he might sing that particular psalm, what relevance might it have to Jesus. Well, let's think about this one here. And, and I've put a couple of verses for you up on the um, screen. This, this is Jesus in Matthew 26, at the Garden of Gethsemane. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Or as Jesus approaches his death in in John's gospel, he says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Now that could be Jesus praying Psalm 42, 43. Jesus was well versed in the Psalms. In fact, sometimes we very clearly See the psalm on the lips of Jesus. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22. Jesus' soul is troubled to the point of death. Jesus is spiritually um, suffering here and he's calling out to God in the midst of this. I think Jesus is an example to us to do the same. When faced with depression, with turmoil... And when we look at these psalms, there's good reason not to give in to self-pity. There's good reason to, to focus very carefully in a particular way. And the way these psalms focus our attention is that they encourage us to talk to ourselves, first of all. Now, you, you might think that talking to yourself is the first sign of madness. Um, it's actually the second tell you the first later but the um it, it, it's not a sign of madness so no to talk to yourself 
It's actually a very important thing to do. And it's in contrast, I think, to listening to yourself. So the, the person who's downcast and in turmoil and struggling is being overwhelmed by internal and external things. And they're speaking to him and he's down. And so part of the response and the first response in each of these refrains is to talk to ourselves in response. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? To speak to ourselves, rather than just listening to ourselves and being overwhelmed by the circumstances, let's speak to ourselves, preach to ourselves, teach ourselves, train ourselves to ask the questions, to actually look in the right direction. This is a case, I take it, of our, our mind being brought in to corral our emotions. That, that is to shape our emotions in a particular way. If we just listen to ourselves and we're overwhelmed, totally overwhelmed, and you'll see the image here of, of deep calling to deep in the roar of a waterfall or waves and breakers sweeping over you, if you're totally overwhelmed by what's going on, then speak to yourself in that situation. And what are you to say to yourself? Well, the next verse in each of these refrains is put your hope in God for I will yet praise him my saviour and my God when we're overwhelmed when when we're alone when we're struggling when we're empty when we're oppressed when life is not going the way that we would have it go speak to yourself and remind yourself to turn to God and to look to the God in whom you can find hope and look to the importance of, of recognising that this hope is secured by God so that you can praise him as your saviour and as your God. This is a practical psalm to be put into practice. Not just talking to ourselves mindlessly, but speaking to ourselves to remind ourselves of God. Turning our thoughts to God, particularly our saviour, Jesus our God and Saviour. Well, that, I think, is the message of the psalm, pretty simply. When we're overwhelmed and things are difficult, speak to yourself and turn to God. But there is more in the psalm. And so we'll take a little bit of time just to look at some of the different ways that we might be downcast. And uh, I'll, I'll pick this up in three ways. Um, now, they're, they're not... Each of these, these little units of 1 to 5 and 6 to 11 and 1 to 5, they're not completely independent. They do all go together. And, and you'll notice in what I've highlighted, there's some overlap. So in verse 3, people say to me all day long, where is your God? And then down in the next section, um, verse 10, uh, my foes are taunting me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Or in, in the second section there, why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy, in verse 9. And then down in the third, same thing, why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy. So a, as we look at each part, recognise that you can't really chop it up like this, but hopefully it'll help us to see a few different things. And the first thing I'd identify is this psalm speaks to us when we're feeling empty. In relationship to God. 
You can't get a more empty picture, I think, than the way it starts. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Um, Now, I grew up with scripture in song, uh, which is a, it's kind of like a, a song book. A lot of them were Psalms and there was a song about the deer panting for the water. And um, I can't get Bambi out of my head, I'm sorry. And uh, I'm not sure that, sorry if I've just put Bambi into your head, but it's not that helpful an image. I think there's there's a context here. See, the word that, that is used, pants for streams of water, pants for you, occurs one more time in the Old Testament. I'm going to take you to it because I think it's a context that we know only too well. And it's in Joel chapter 1 and verse 20. And I'm going to read from Joel 1 verse 19. Listen to this. To you, Lord, I call, for fire has devoured the pastures in the wilderness, and flames have burned up all the trees of the field. Even the wild animals pant for you. The streams of water have dried up, and fire has devoured the pastures in the wilderness. So how many images have we seen in recent times of pasture land, of woodlands being burnt up, of famine and creeks being dry, cracked mud, parched land and animals desperate for water? That's the picture to have in our heads. Desperate my soul is as it pants for God. It, my soul needs God and I feel empty, I feel isolated, I, I feel removed and alone. Where can I go to meet with God? And, and rather than having my soul filled and, and my thirst quenched, he says in verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? Desperate desire to find God, to be with God, to have God quench his thirst. And then he remembers in verse 5, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, bringing these things to mind, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. The, the, The psalmist actually looks to better times. Times when he gathered together with others who belonged to God. Times when there was festivity and and joy and the praise of God. Gathering with God's people and celebrating together. He looks for God and he longs for the time of being with God's people, with God in their midst. I wonder whether there have been times when you feel particularly remote from God. When, when it seems that God is a long way away, it might be that you have pushed God to the periphery. It might be that you have filled your life with other things. Sometimes when I feel that God is a long way away, I realise deep down that it's not God that's moved. It's me. And whether I've forgotten the blessing of reading his word, whether I've been distracted from coming before him to pray, whether I've 
I've failed to meet with his people, whether I've been distracted by the things that have troubled me, the reminder here of this psalm is to put our hope in God because God is the one that we can praise as our saviour and our God and to gather together with God's people to encourage each other. Second verse, if you like, features the psalmist being overwhelmed. Um, Again, in verse 6, my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Now, this is up to the north of Jerusalem. Um, The headwaters of the Jordan River apparently were up in the the area of Mount Hermon. It's quite likely that Mount Mizar was there as well. I I don't know the details. But again, he's feeling remote from God. But not just remote, overwhelmed. Look at verse 7. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. I was reading one guy, um, uh, a guy called James Sire, who's a, a great Christian author. He's written a book called The Universe Next Door about worldviews and has, has a gr- great number of books that are really worth reading. And he's written a book um, to do with praying the Psalms. And I, I was reading along with him and he was talking about deep and, and deep, when deep calls to deep. And he said that as he read through this, he was thinking of the depths of God and how they speak to our inner soul and, um, and uh, kind of expounded on this for a page or so. And then he said, but I completely misunderstood it. So his first reading was, a positive reading of this, you know, God's depths speaking to the depths of my soul. He said, I should have read it more biblically from the second verse of the Bible. The Spirit of God hovered over the deep. And when you look at the, at the depths, the picture of the depths, particularly the watery depths, it's a picture of chaos. It, it, it's a picture of fear. It's often associated with, with death itself. And the image here of, of the roar of the waterfalls, is, it's not a, a great photographic opportunity. It's being bombarded from above by the heavy torrents of water. And those of you who surf probably relate to the next. All your waves and breakers have swept over me when it's absolutely pounding in and your board breaks and you get tumbled and turned and you can't work out what's up and what's down and you just hope you've got enough breath. That's the picture. It's a picture of overwhelm. And in the context of this, look again, his thoughts turn to God. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Fear and overwhelm. We don't know the circumstances that have given rise to the psalmist speaking about this. And in one sense, it doesn't matter. 
I think it's reasonable for us to substitute our own experiences. What is it that leaves you overwhelmed, bombarded, unable to to see up from down, deeply struggling, your soul being downcast because of the weight of responsibility? Is it family? Is it sleepless nights? Is it struggling with, with recycled sickness through your children? Is it the struggle of, of making ends meet with financial difficulties? Is it the difficulties of, of relating well with somebody that you know that you're in conflict with? What are the pressures that you experience? Is there some sense of disappointment, of maybe personal failure? Do you struggle with being overwhelmed at times by your own sinfulness? By your inability to turn aside from things that you know that God does not want you to do? Is it illness? Is it an anxiety? Or a depression that impacts your relationship with God? Well, friends, if you are overwhelmed, if you're feeling like you're being bombarded and you can't work out where to turn, speak to yourself. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Tell yourself to put your hope in God. Call upon yourself to praise him your saviour and your God. Sometimes it's not just that life is difficult, but that others make it even worse. And there is a note of oppression in this psalm. Look at the picture there in, in verse 3. People are saying to me all day long, where is your God? Have you felt like that at times? And you don't have an answer? Again, we see that down in verse 10. My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? You see, in this third refrain, there is a direct prayer. Verse 1 of chapter 43, Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You see, the the psalmist is oppressed, and not just by the enemies of the people of God out there, but by the people who should know better. He's come under attack, and the attack is from his own people. And that hurts. I think that hurts the most. Have you been through an experience like that when you've been treated unfairly, when you've been judged or criticised? Maybe you'd go so far as to say when you've been taken for granted or even abused. And it's easy to get depressed in those circumstances. It's easy to feel so down. And so the psalmist prays, verse 3, Send me your light 
and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. He prays for direction. He, 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 play, he prays that, that God will bring him back to himself. And he looks forward in verse 4 to the time when he will offer praises to God once again. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God, my joy and my delight, I will praise you with the lyre. O God, my God. He looks forward to praising God. See, there will be times when we're feeling alone. There'll be times when we're overwhelmed. And there'll be times when people around about us make it worse. It might be the ridicule and hostility of family who aren't Christian, who, who like to mock the way that you think and the way you speak and act. It might be workmates who, when faced with suffering and in the circumstances of people that you all know, say, where is your God in the face of these things? It might be that you feel it yourself. God, this, this sucks. What are you doing about it? Where are you? Why aren't you fixing this? Why, why, why won't you answer me? See, there can be oppression in all kinds of ways and, and ultimately the Bible tells us that there is an evil one. One known as the devil, one known as Satan, whose great strategy is to distract us from God and to doubt God's word. Did God really say? Oh, God knows that you'd be better off if. And we fall prey to that. And the psalmist, I take it, knows that temptation. And Jesus faced those temptations. And the psalmist takes himself in hand and says, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Friends, this is not a, a light and fluffy psalm. But nor is this a, a theoretical and academic psalm. No, it's personal and it's practical. It's God's word to us as the psalmist speaks his word to God. That's one of the ways that the psalms work. They, they actually give us words from God that we can use to God. They can teach us how to pray and to sing. The fact that this is for the director of music, I take it, means that they are encouraged to sing these words to each other which, whether or not we put it to music, or whether or not it has a particular metre in the way that we do it, is a way of encouraging and teaching one another these truths. And I take it that we are called to pray and to sing these words with Jesus as our worship leader. The one who has put this into practice himself, who was facing a deeper stress than you and I will ever face. So let me finish by just kind of summarising some thoughts. When we're overwhelmed 
and we're struggling and it seems that God is a long way from us. Talk to God. Talk, talk to yourself to talk to God. Take yourself in hand. Don't just listen to what's going on within you and around you. Remind yourself to turn your thoughts to God. Preach to yourself. And as we gather together with one another, let's encourage each other to do the same. As we share our burdens and, and, and the pain and the struggle, let's turn our thoughts to the God in whom we can have a genuine, solid, real, certain hope. We, we may not find a, a resolution to what causes our struggle and pain in this life. But this life is not all there is. And this psalm causes us to put our hope in God, knowing that we will yet praise him, for he is our saviour and our God. And I take it it's not just our, our, our thoughts, but it, it is also our, and our words, it's, it's also our actions. So, we, we turn to God not just in prayer but with the attitude of trusting God with what we're going through and, and that might mean we need to repent. It might, need, we, we need, might mean that we need to review the way that we respond. I think one of the dangers that I face is that when I'm spiritually depressed... I don't speak to myself and I don't naturally turn my thoughts to God. I might be more likely to spend longer on my phone or the computer. I might think that the solution is to binge a series of Netflix or some other streaming. I might be tempted to hit the chocolate or maybe the wine. Oh, I just need a drink. It's been a big day. It's been really a, a great struggle. And it's that dopamine hit that we crave, isn't it? It's that way that our brain has been trained to think that life will be better if we do this or take that or go there or do this. And we need to hear this because our world bombards us with messages about where to turn when we're spiritually depressed and it's anywhere but God. So let's encourage one another with this psalm. Let's turn our thoughts to God and... Share with one another as we do so. And friends, can I say, if, if, if you are feeling overwhelmed, in addition to talking to yourself and talking to God, why not talk with a brother or sister? If you'd like someone to pray with you, um, just perhaps to hang back after church before you grab a cuppa, just come down the front and... I'd be happy to pray with you and I know there'd be others as well. Thank you.